Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Out of the Gray, the podcast where we discuss all things medical physics and radiation therapy. Today, I'm so lucky to have with me Jordan Smith from Bend, Oregon. Jordan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Jordan Smith. I'm a medical physicist at St. Charles Healthcare in Bend, Oregon. I have been there for coming up on a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Spent a few years in the Air Force before that doing medical physics as well. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know medical physicists are some of the busiest folks on the planet, and I know how difficult it is to schedule things. So I certainly appreciate you making time for me and my listeners. So Jordan, I have to start off with obviously the most basic of questions and one that I'm most excited for, honestly. Can you give us a little bit of insight into how you found your way into medical physics? Certainly. Yeah, I took a bit of a winding path through medical physics, I'll say. How I got there originally was via a classmate. So I started out with an interest in electrical engineering when I was in high school and um, was fortunate enough to be able to take some physics classes during high school. And one of those was astronomy. And that one really got me hooked. Went on from there to take general physics courses and everything and got just a general interest in physics from there and didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I didn't know if I wanted to do astronomy or astrophysics or whatnot. And there was a classmate ahead of me a year, Jared, and he had done an internship. He was interested in medical physics, came back and did some presentations and that sort of sparked my interest. And from there, did some some looking into it, did some presentations myself and ended up getting some internships while I was in college. And yeah, I worked in a small animal imaging lab where we imaged mice and rats on micro PET and micro CT and micro spec scanners. And also got a internship at a local cancer center and got to see Radonk for the first time. And that sort of just got the ball rolling. Um, during college, after that, I applied to grad school and and was able to get into Duke University. And that was 2009. Yeah, I went through the master's program there, graduated in 2011 and joined the Air Force. One thing that I've noticed that's pretty common across the board, and I, I think I probably say this every show, yeah. is that medical physics tends to find people people don't necessarily find. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I was just interested in physics in general. I had no idea what to do with it. Knew I wanted to help people. Knew that I wanted to be able to see the effects of my work, I guess. Sure. Applied physics. Yes, definitely on the applied side rather than the research side for my personality. And I feel like I found that in medical physics. The same for me. It was... Bristol Regional Medical Center in Bristol, Tennessee. The physicist was Bob Glossner, I think. He, I assume he's retired by now. I haven't talked to him in a very long time. But a classmate got in touch with him and we both got to do a, sh- uh, a shadowing program for most of the summer, I believe. And it was yeah, very eye-opening. Uh, did a lot of reporting on that back to our physics professor. But it was it was just doors wide open. He said, yeah, come on in. And he kind of showed us around, showed us how things worked. It was great. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And the the shadowing, yeah, I was able to shadow. And that sort of opened my eyes to radiation oncology. But I actually 
spent the majority of my time in the Air Force in uh, medical imaging and radiation safety. So it was a roundabout way to get to radiation oncology physics, actually. Yeah. So I have so many questions for you straight off yeah, the bat. Absolutely. First, how big is a micro CT? <laughs> About as big. I mean, it fits on a desktop, probably two and a half feet on a side, a square. Well, I guess more of a cube. The CT was a little bit more robust. The spec scanner was, I don't know, probably a foot deep. And then, yeah, two and a half feet wide. It was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> it was adorable. Yes. <laughs> so obviously these are testing units, right? And we're Absolutely. Not... It was for research purposes. So it was in a, a research lab where they were studying cancer effects using mice as the medium. So they would inject cancer into the mice and study the growth pattern using these functional imaging machines. So to go from something like that to then being in the military and taking those experiences with you, right? You did that before. Yeah. How did that happen for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess it just all sort of builds on each other. The imaging experience was great and actually got me on the imaging track. When I was in graduate school, my advisor was Dr. Tim Turkington, and he is an incredible person <laughs> and an incredible physicist. He taught me so much, and I really enjoyed working with him. He is in the the pet clinic at Duke, at least while I was there. He is, yeah, just an incredibly influential person and really, really fun to work with. But yeah, working in the imaging lab got me interested in nuclear medicine specifically. So I focused on pet and did some pet research projects at Duke while I was there. And from there, kind of built on it and was recruited into the Air Force mainly for that skill set. And yeah, so right after graduation, well, it was actually while I was in grad school, talked to a recruiter and learned of a scholarship program that they were working on that was actively recruiting medical physicists because there was a need in the Air Force at that time for medical physicists. And applied for it and got it. They helped me out with my master's degree. And as soon as I graduated, three weeks later, was shipped off to officer training. <laughs> and yeah, just went straight into the military side of things and cranked through there and ended up at Travis Air Force Base in Fairfield, California. <laughs> Joined a small group of physicists there. There were, I guess, five of us at David Grant Medical Center. And I uh, learned a lot from those guys. It was it was a very, very fun experience. I was green as could be, didn't know down from up. But yeah, I was thrown into the clinic and uh, was made radiation safety officer and did a lot of work on PET scanners, SPECT scanners. I spent a lot of time in imaging there. Eventually, was given the opportunity to do a therapy medical physics residency through the Air Force at Ohio State University. So that was where the transition kind of emerged. I had spent a lot of time in imaging and radiation safety, obviously, and was wanting, I guess, that growth, that ability to expand, was drawn to radiation oncology for the, I guess, I guess a lot of reasons. There was the experience of learning something new and 
of being able to help people, I guess, in a more direct way. Imaging, of course, is ubiquitous and we use it all the time and it's very important. But um, I was drawn to the direct cancer treatment and the ability to have an impact on on the patients. You know, and that's an important perspective to have. And, you know, I was having this conversation earlier uh, today, actually, about how siloed healthcare became for a while. I mean, but, mm-hmm. but those silos are now being bridged, I feel like. And having experience in imaging physics and mm-hmm. now having experience in radiation oncology physics, I mm-hmm. feel like those two worlds are coming closer and closer together. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, it is the basis of what we do in radiation oncology from the the point of the sim that really determines the rest of the treatment. And if you don't get that right, then the rest of the treatment can be adversely affected for sure. And image quality, obviously, is that basis as well. If if our if our HU scale is not properly transferred to the treatment planning system, then we can treat incorrectly. And and of course the overlap of pet imaging. Um, we do quite a bit of deformable registration to allow the physicians to yeah, denote the PTV, uh, the GTVs, PTVs, everything like that. Oh, yeah. The, well, those elastic fusions are, in my opinion, something that they're so cool to see in action. You know, you see the, the way that those image sets get fused together. And you're right, they, the HUs have to be spot on, right? You don't want to mess that up. I know that's important. So I think seeing, seeing these different, you know, um, the imaging side of healthcare and the oncology, the radiation side of healthcare, the radiation oncology side come together through imaging from my perspective has been really cool to watch. And I know, especially, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of spending some time up there in Bend with you and your team. And I've, I've seen the immense amount of amazing things that you guys do up there with imaging and you have the exact track systems and you have the onboard imaging systems and things like that. So it's, you know, it, th- those types of programs that have bridged the gap for me in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the exact track system is, is kind of my, my baby right now. <laughs> there is quite a bit about our work that is amazing to me. During my interview at St. Charles, I remember Brandon, my supervisor, asking if if you won the lottery, what would you do? And the answer is I would still want to do medical physics in some capacity, even if I didn't have to. I would probably do it a little bit less per week. (laughs) But (laughs) I am just enthralled by the field in general. A lot of your... Uh, your previous interviewees have said the problem solving, and I I agree with that 100. Um, no two days are alike, and that is amazing to me. We can go in and not know what we're going to expect, and any machine problem or planning problem or imaging problem will get thrown at us, and we need to figure out what to do. And it is very exciting to me. And like I've said, just the impact that we have on the patients' lives, and a big thing for me is. It is such a team-oriented practice. From start to finish, a patient will come into contact with so many different, I guess, entities within the practice, uh, therapy, nursing, physician, everybody. And we all have to work really well together. And that is a huge draw to me. I'm a team player and it is 
really important to me to be able to work with my team really well. And radiation oncology does that. It brings us together really well for the good of the patient. I agree completely. I think it's, you know, being part of a clinical team where we had the opportunity to work with an amazing nursing staff and an amazing physician staff. And, an ama- you know, I could say amazing a thousand times because they all are, right? Um, but <laughs> yeah. the anesthesia teams that you get to work with. And, yeah. and then the now, again, here we are talking again about bridging gaps, the mm-hmm. neurosurgical teams that come in and yeah. all of these different, absolutely, these, the gamut of healthcare, right? But they all come together mm-hmm. to play on the same team in this particular instance. And it is a, it's absolutely stunning to watch. I love it. Mm-hmm. Me too. So cool. Yeah. And it's so technology-based. I mean, being a nerd like we physicists <laughs> usually are, it is very enthralling to me to be able to work with such high-tech equipment. It's really fun. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. I think... And technology is, uh, in my mind, what has allowed our field to grow at such a rapid pace. What's new? What's cool? What's going on there in Bend? What are you guys up to? Yeah. So we are fortunate enough to have just concluded the installation of Exact Track Dynamic from BrainLab. It was yeah, a bit of a longer project that I'd had the opportunity to spearhead. So it is very near and dear to my heart. Um, it is an amazing technology. It combines 3D surface tracking and thermal tracking along with the stereoscopic imaging mid-treatment. And we just wrapped up the installation. I got to do some commissioning and I'm still taking some data. And we are using it very successfully on our patients. And it has been a thrilling ride. We were the second clinic in the country to have it installed in our clinic. And we were the first Electa clinic to have it installed. So really fun to be on the the cutting edge here. That is amazing. Congratulations to you. And obviously, um, I know that is a, a lot of work, but so worth it. Absolutely. It has been very well received. There's been some apprehension on a lot of the new stuff that me and my physics colleagues are throwing at our, our therapists and our staff. But exact track dynamic was, has been received very well. It's been good. It has streamlined our SRS process significantly and proves to be very, very accurate. As with any new technology, we had a couple of hiccups here and there in the spin-up, but overall, it's been very, very positive experience. That's awesome. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I'm so excited for you guys. And to be the yeah. first one on an Electa, you know, in the, in the entire country, that's, that's front of the page. That's like front page paper yeah. stuff. <laughs> it's, been, it's been cool. Yeah. Thank you. So neat. So going from there, you know, everything that your clinic is, is doing right now, where do you see the technology going in the next five to 10 years? Because I mean, things have changed so rapidly over the past five years. Mm -hmm. What do you see coming for the next five? So alongside Exact Track Dynamic and and Brain Lab, we have Brain Lab Elements. We have recently Mm. installed RayStation and several MIM modules as well. Okay. And what we are slowly incorporating is a lot of automation. And I know you've probably heard that word quite a bit recently. Automation and machine learning, I feel like is a... We're going to keep seeing more and more of that at all levels of the radiation oncology process. We see a lot of auto contouring from all sorts of software developers right now. MIM, we have started to dabble in MIM Protege. And I think 
most other companies are are doing that as well. You know, I think you're spot on with the automation changing the way that things are done. If you look back just even even five years ago, right? You look back. Yeah. And you think about treatment planning systems, how they behaved and how they acted. Contouring was something that, you know, you would hear <laughs> the groans from the dosimetry room, right? Like you get a bit, yes. you got a you got a big, you know, couple hundred slices of scan come up and it's like wah wah and everybody collectively goes <laughs> to the coffee pot, right? At the same time. Yeah. No one's in no one's gonna be taking this one. But it was one of those one of those tasks that is not necessarily everyone's favorite, right? Yes. So the auto contouring has has come along, and I feel like some of the modules I've seen around are getting pretty good. I know that yes. there's room for improvement, it's, but yes, yeah, we had to put some on hold. We we tried one of them, yeah, and we had to put it on hold for a little bit, but we are spinning it back up now, hopefully with with better results. But what we're seeing. I think, I mean, obviously is from a sales perspective and they want to show you the best. But in practice, um, I think it can only get better and I think it will get better and we'll, we'll streamline the contouring process. I think we'll start to see that more in planning uh-huh. and we will probably start to see it in quality assurance aspects as well. Yeah. Um, with, I guess, automation making our jobs a little bit easier. Yeah. There's always the question of, well, will our job start to go away? <laughs> right. I don't think that it will start to have that impact for quite some time and there will always need to be some oversight. But I, I do see the, I do see machine learning and automation starting to take over a lot of these tasks that we groan about whenever <laughs> they come <laughs> through the pipeline. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I say that with all the love in the world, right? Because I, you know, I've gathered around the water cooler and you know heard, oh, well, is it coffee break time? Well, I'm I'm calking a plan, right? You know, so they, you know, obviously, yes. have to walk away. Yeah, I myself have had to take those breaks, so I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, it's it's interesting to see how rapidly the field is changing and how much faster it's getting. Yes, I mean, it's like bullet speed now compared to where we were. We saw that change recently. We were running Pinnacle when I got here and have successfully transferred over to RayStation for all of our planning. And the GPU-based calculation is night and day. It's switching from a Pinto to a Ferrari. It has been incredible. (laughs) Yes. And just this week, I cranked out a couple single fraction SRS plans in brain lab elements. And that process itself is so streamlined and Mm -hmm. yes, very well done. Even Monte Carlo calculations are lickety split now. It's great. Mm -hmm. Very fast. We will now take a quick break from our discussion to chat about our sponsor, Standard Imaging. With 31 years of dedication to good physics, We are here to help meet medical physics QA requirements accurately, safely, and efficiently. Our teams are looking forward to helping you select the best tools for the job and are only a click away at www.standardimaging.com. You'll find information about our comprehensive total QA solutions, find access to high quality customer care, support, and your regional account manager. We look forward to working with you and developing your program. Please feel free to reach out anytime. So if if I look at if I you know put myself here, what what do you see as the flying car for radiation oncology in our future? We talked about this 
I guess, a similar concept with colleagues recently. I think what I would guess is some sort of all-in-one sim-to-treat machine wrapping up that automation machine learning technology with online adaptive planning Mm -hmm. with that amazing increase in computation speed that we've seen to have some device where you can bring the patient in, send them, and in some short order, have uh, assisted automated planning and deliver the treatment right there and then. That's what I would picture as a a flying car level radiation oncology technology. Patient is imaged on the table and you see a change in anatomy and you make the appropriate adjustments with AI assistance and deliver the appropriate plan right there on the spot. See, I like that too. And I I think we're, you know, we're on the cusp of that, I feel like, especially with Mm -hmm. adaptive planning modules coming along and the MR Linux that are capable of doing this stuff. Yeah. On the fly, you know, I've I've had the pleasure of speaking with folks who are implementing MR Linux and folks mm-hmm. who are venturing down that pathway already with different software uh, modules, different things that they're using to kind of break into adaptive planning. And I, you know, that for me is such an interesting concept. You know, as mm-hmm. it, being in the clinic, I remember, you know, oh, you know, it's been a couple of weeks. Let's rescan and plan, right? Or let, right. let's check it out, right? Compare, yep. you know, do a fusion, compare. And that's how that was then. But now, you know, take a scan, see it's changed, implement the change and treat. So cool. So sci-fi. Absolutely. It's neat. Right? It's cool. And you think you think iRobot or, you know, whatever that movie was where it shows people just walking through like an x-ray machine. You see the little bodies and... Yep. I, can't, I can't remember. You know what movie or Star Trek, Tricorder, that sort of see? thing. It's the diagnosis. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Diagnose and treat all on an iPad. Love it. <laughs> So I think, you know, for me, there's, there's definitely cool things in the field. And uh, man, you guys, are, you guys are doing cutting edge stuff. It's been great to be able to enact this change in such short order. If, it feels like we have thrown a lot on the clinic. It's just the three of us physicists, but with Brandon at the helm, he has been putting this vision of his into practice and very successfully. So we have implemented... Raystation, MIM, Brain Lab, Exact Track Dynamic, and Brain Lab Elements. We've been adjusting a lot of procedures. We've been really modernizing our clinic and we are already seeing the effects and it's been really great. Busy folks. That's what that means. Very busy. Well, you know, and and like I mentioned earlier, I've had the pleasure of going up there and working with your Mm -hmm. team. Such an amazing group. You know, can't say enough good. Oh yeah, you guys are so sweet. And and I love Bend, right? Bend, Oregon is just it's phenomenal, right? An amazing place. So cool. I you know, I, I, one thing this I digress slightly, but if you ever go to Bend in the summer or the spring, it just smells like onions the whole town. <laughs> All I smell is onion. <laughs> yeah, I I guess the pine. I usually get the pine coming off you the get pine? Yeah. <laughs> For me, I I land and I'm like, mm, onions. Onions. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. But I love it up there so much. And the home of the very last blockbuster video. Absolutely. I lived three blocks from there before I before I bought my house and moved. I still drive by it every day. Mm. (laughs) So many selfies outside the front of that store. (laughs) It's what I see every time I'm driving. For sure. Well, it's a B and B now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I think they had that as a promotion. Yeah, that's pretty great. 
I love it. Yeah. Go and stay the night in a blockbusters. I don't know who it is. <laughs> everybody have a VHS. They still have VHS. I don't know. VHS tapes, DVDs. I, who I knows? I think it's... A- <laughs> I haven't been in in a while. I, I think it's all DVDs, but I'm not positive. <laughs> yeah, who but knows? Man, the nostalgia. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Abs- yes, absolutely. Gotta love Blockbusters and, and Hastings. Where, what happened to the 90s? Huh? <laughs> they left. That's what happened. So, you know, we've had, uh, we've had a lot of, of discussion so far about, you know, where we came from in the field and how you got into the field and, mm-hmm. and uh, being a part of the military, which thank you for your service, by the way. I forgot to thank mention you for that earlier. We certainly appreciate that. If you could go back to your, you know, at the very beginning of your physics journey and give yourself a message or a note, what might that message read? Invest in Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like I would tell myself to enjoy the process a lot more. Yeah. I got very caught up in the details early on. And I would say... Don't <laughs> sit back and enjoy. <laughs> the details are important, but mm-hmm. uh, you need to also enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. I would also tell myself that my instinct to uh, ask for help and rely on others was a good one. I have met and known some very, very influential and important and helpful people <laughs> throughout my yeah. whole career. And I could not have done it without so many of them. So I think that is a positive one that I had early on and was able to rely on. Ah, that's a good note. That's a good note. Asking questions is always important. And it's a theme here too. I, <laughs> I think you know one common thing that we share in this community is the willingness to ask. Mm-hmm. It's so important, right? Absolutely. That and maintaining a, a supportive network. Yes, that has been a very important point that I make in any interview or anything similar is, like I said, I'm a very team-oriented person. For that reason, I need an open-door policy and the ability to rely on my team, any problems that come along, because there will be problems and we need to back each other up. And I have found that along the way and I could not have done it in any other capacity, I don't think. No. Yeah. The teamwork environment is so necessary. Mm -hmm. Crucial. It's critical. Monumental. Can't say enough. It's yep. very important. <laughs> and I think, you know, if that appeals to someone, then this might be a good home for you. Absolutely. That leads me into my next question. What advice would you have to someone who's looking to get into medical physics or maybe someone who is just stepping their foot into it? And it doesn't have okay. to be a physicist, maybe a doctor or a therapist or a nurse. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give somebody who's just kind of dipping their toe in the radiation oncology pool? Yeah. Probably broaden your vision. Mm-hmm. Think clinically and not just in your own specialty. Like going through and I only, I guess, dipped my toe in the research world. I feel like there is a lot of folks who will get very bogged down in their specific niche, which we need obviously to advance in all those areas. Once you get into practice, you need to realize that we're all relying on each other. And I guess. Speaking to physicists, as a medical physicist, you are not just a physicist. (laughs) You are an IT professional. Uh, You will deal in project management, risk management, uh, radiation safety. You're a technical communicator just across the board. And you need to to see that and focus on that and be ready to take on those additional tasks. 
Yeah. The physics office is usually the first, one of the first phone numbers to ring when there's yes. something going on. <laughs> yep. In, in any capacity, really. <laughs> I know. And even beyond just wearing so many hats, the ability to communicate well with patients and other staff is crucial. Mm-hmm. Because if we stay in our little bubble, which some of us are want to do, when somebody comes knocking, you need to be able to see things from all other perspectives and be ready to, to help in that capacity. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad you said something about communicating with patients because mm-hmm. in my experience, you know, part of what comes along with what we do is a great deal of fear and mystery almost uh, mm-hmm. because it is radiation's a terrifying word, mm-hmm. especially if you don't. I mean, really, you, you think about your microwave and you think about, yep. you know, some other horrible tragedies in exactly. our or, history. And that's where your mind goes. But to have a physicist yeah. come in and, and sit down and explain mm-hmm. with the patients that I have had who have experienced some level of fear, mm-hmm. the physicist coming in and explaining what we're doing and, and how it's going to affect them and, and what the outcome is going to be is mm-hmm. so refreshing and so calming, really does impact patient care. Yes, I think there's a growing movement to teach that to medical physicists starting earlier and earlier. And I think that's very important because we are taught these things and we know these things fundamentally from our own perspective. Mm -hmm. But to be able to communicate without dropping fearful words, for instance, in these communications with patients is very important. And I think we will only see more and more physicist interaction with patients Especially as all this automation comes along, we will be pushed out into even more capacities, I think, as other aspects of our jobs are maybe narrowed down a little bit, maybe made a little bit easier. Sure. There will always be that utility to, to communicate these things to patients. So that being said, you know, we've, we've had, you know, lots of chats about what we might offer to somebody who's looking to get into the field. I did want to unpack one more little thing. If mm-hmm. there is a, you know, a, a student like yourself who's involved in electrical engineering or, or you know, engineering in any capacity or physics in some capacity in school, mm-hmm. what would be your recommendation if they do hear this podcast and are interested in medical physics now? So they've, they've heard you speak and they're like, I want to be medical mm-hmm. physics. What might your advice to them be for their first step in this direction? <laughs> That's a great question. So once you Google it, you will probably find the AAPM, American Association of Physicists and Medicine. There is a wealth of information there, even for yeah, your student coming off the street, not knowing what it's all about. From there, reach out to your local hospital and I'm sure they can connect you to a clinical medical physicist who, as we've said, would be more than happy to walk you through that. And probably, I guess once things relax a little bit COVID-wise, bring you in for a shadowing experience or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say just get after it and and see if you can dive in and see what it's really about face-to-face and, and see if it's something that you would be interested in. I think that's good advice. Solid. The AAPM, is it AAPM.org? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is loaded with information, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff there. So that's solid advice. I know... You know, I, I'm scheduled to be chatting with a physicist next week that's doing high school and middle school outreach, which I think awesome. 
is so cool, right? That is great. So, you know, we may uh, end up having some high school listeners or some physics Mm -hmm. uh, teachers or, you know, maybe some medical physics directors are going to hear this and be able to uh, better funnel students in certain directions. It's exciting. Grow the field. That's great. I've delved a little bit in that. In grad school, Mm -hmm. Dr. Turkington would be involved with the local middle school. And so I got to work with him a little bit. And it was more demonstrations of conservation of momentum and and just very basic stuff, but really fun to try and convey that information. And then while I was in the Air Force, a patient came into my office and asked if his daughter could come shadow. So yeah, I got to develop a little program based Mm -hmm. around radiation oncology and medical imaging. And it was a joy to be able to convey this passion of mine and show off all the cool toys. <laughs> you know, that's true. Maybe have some of the coolest toys in the hospital, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Very expensive ones and really fascinating ones. It's really fun to be able to talk about my passion because I feel very lucky to be able to be doing what I love. Yeah. Despite, of course, long hours and frustrating hiccups and spinning up new programs and what have you, but it's all worth it. That's the spice of life, Jordan. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. If it weren't for the hiccups, what would we be doing? We would be having a great day at work. (laughs) (laughs) Probably a much more boring day at work. (laughs) We love those days. We love those days. That's the fun parts. You know, and I I I do hear you there. It's uh but it's so rewarding. That's one of the things. Yeah, there, you know, there's days, right? But as we all encounter, but such a rewarding position to be in. And, and, you know, you're so fortunate there. You guys are such an amazing team and have such a cool program. And it's been so exciting to see uh, your, the St. Charles program grow over the past several years that I've been involved with you guys. I feel very lucky to be a part of it. It's been great. Very cool. Well, Jordan, again, I know that we've had a long conversation here. I certainly appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and share your experiences from entering the field and and again, uh, military service. Thank you so much. All the way into now clinical service again. Thank you so much. I certainly appreciate all your time and uh, and all your stories. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure, Tracy. Absolutely, absolutely, folks. If you are still listening with us, please do click that subscribe button. Continue around the globe with us as we pick the brains of the best and brightest in the field and learn more about their experiences in radiation oncology, radiation physics. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much. Have a great day.